we are looking to increase the open rates on our monthly e-newsletter, and it seems like the first step is making sure we get in people's inbox and not their spam folder. Do you have any advice to ensure we stay out of people's spam folders? <laughs> so, there, I mean, there's, I, I have a sense that you want a technical answer from us. Like, do you have to do this? You have to be written a certain way. They're like... SEO, something, something, right? All the spam you already get and throw away. Um, I think I'm going to take it a slightly different direction, which is probably going to be um, not your favorite. But um, what's a monthly e-newsletter for? Like, what are you trying to achieve with that piece of content? Is it because because it the reason it's hitting people's spam folder is because it might be spam. Um, using the definition of like something somebody wants to receive versus something that someone doesn't want to receive. A lot of times, and the way I know the way Google, it's probably different now, but Gmail it originally worked is the way that things would get shunted off to spam folders is because people marked it as spam when it came in. So now I'm sure there's probably some crazy machine learning, super hyper intelligent AI, something, something that nobody understands. Um, so which makes it impossible to give you a technical answer. Um, but maybe you need to think about like, what's the point of the monthly e-newsletter and is there a way to communicate with folks that's less, um, generic and spam like, and a little more customized to make people want to engage with your content and to make it want to go into their inbox so that when it comes in, they can intentionally mark it as not spam, which will then keep it out of the spam folder. Right. Um, plenty of ways to do that. I think one is to, to make sure that the content isn't just junky. That isn't an update that nobody wants to hear that it's got a good story in it, or it's got important news in it, or it's something that like it's, it's some, some piece of thing that they want to know about how your organization is doing or what cool stuff you're engaged in. Um, and, and if that doesn't work, if you can't come up with that kind of stuff, maybe a monthly e-newsletter is not the way to go. Maybe what you need to figure out is different kinds of communication methods to get in front of people as well. That isn't just an email. Maybe it's a personal email. Maybe it's doubling down on your one-on-one -on -one fundraising to say, hey, I saw, you know, thanks. You gave us a donation of $35 three years ago, and we just wanted to let you know that this is what's happening. That's a direct personal email. It isn't going to go to spam because you're not sending it to a trillion people, you're sending it to one person. And so it's way less likely to end up in the spam mailbox because it's a personal email. So I don't know, maybe think about your strategy. Um, as far as a technical answer, I don't know that we're- Yeah, I am not the person at all for technical. I mean, I remember, I'll just share it like my own, right? I remember some basic rules of thumb to your point, Andy, like if I don't have content people find valuable, they could market as spam. And so that also went hand in hand with who got sent my e-newsletter. And, you know, it's just spamming when you say, oh, great, I met you and now I'm adding you to the e-newsletter. Or, hey, I went to this mixer and got 10 business cards. Great, you're added to my e-newsletter. Like they didn't ask to be a part of it. I think one of the strategies, and so you see people all the time, right, take these lists that they somehow get and they get all excited because I can add a hundred names to my e-newsletter list, right? And none of those people necessarily want to hear from you or hear from you. Maybe they do, but not in that way. So like, I think that 
really thinking about how you even got the names on your list, if you happen to know that. And even doing, there's a few strategies I've seen out there that have worked really well for organizations that probably were designed by people much smarter than me that were like, hey, um, like you get the first on, like entry, like, hey, um, would love to, I don't want to spam you because spam is obnoxious. Like you can be like cheeky about it, right? Like, and so if you like, if you're up for hearing updates or if you want like a tip or whatever it is that your e-newsletter offers, like, or you want to hear a story just about good in the community to brighten your day, whatever, like click, you know, subscribe here or like opt out, what or not even opt out. You don't even put them on, right? Like they have to take that step because if they're not willing to take the step, then you are just, it's like, it's like when you go down, someone uh, equated it to the Las Vegas Strip where you have all of those peddlers like giving you stuff, adult, inappropriate adult stuff, right? Like that they're sitting there flyers about come to this nightclub or strip club or whatever it is. Like, so you don't want to be that person and you don't want to be the equivalent of like, I'm just trying to share this info with you because it's important to me. So I do think thinking through that. Um, and, I, and I guess the other thing I would say to piggyback off what Andy said is sort of how do you do this in a way like in a world that there is so much competition for this kind of stuff? Is there anything you can do? that might make yours stand out or less is more. And just because you're changing to a new software program internally and you're excited about it, will most people care? No. Like, so really having someone honest, maybe a couple of really candid people, I have found uh, in my world, my husband tends to be good at that because it'll, it'll be like, like if, if whether it's something to do with me or someone else, it'll be like, well, why do I really care about that? And I'm like, yeah, that's a really good point, right? Like most people, the average person doesn't. So find those people who are in your corner who will be honest with you and be like, yeah, like this is too much. I don't need a 10 page at, at like this thing I have to keep scrolling to go through all of your updates is too much. So um, anyway, I, I think we could go on and on because it's a larger communications question like or it's a question that like needs to be put into a larger communications discussion about platforms who your target audience is who you're trying to hit with what platform all that stuff and there's some really cool and smart people out there who do that so if you ever need names or recommendations uh shoot us shoot us uh, a message and happy to share with you some of the kind of ones that i at least think highly of in nationally that are doing great work around this yeah, what's your what's you're going to ask for? If you have a PR firm, you need to ask them what to talk to you about their content strategy. Like, what's the content strategy? And if you don't have a PR firm, a lot of nonprofits do. It's interesting. Like, it's one of those big differences between for profit and nonprofit. For profits, like big for profits, might hire a PR firm or a restaurant or somebody that wants to have like their name out there and has trouble like cutting through the noise. But many, many nonprofits work with professional PR firms specifically because they just don't have the money to hire internal staff. And you're an easy pitch for that PR firm as well, because there are folks looking for that kind of information, you know, get you on actually on the news and you don't have to pay for it. Like a, a for-profit is going to have to pay to come in in the morning and talk to the morning show host, sit in that awkward chair under those hot lights and talk about whatever they're doing. But if you're a nonprofit and you're doing something cool, they can get you on that TV show. And that's 
way more effective than your email newsletter that's going to spam. So you might you might think about doing something a little bit more specific and getting some professionals to help you. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. Welcome to Nonprofit Everything, the podcast where hosts Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding answer your questions about all things nonprofit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurick. I'm here with Stacy Wedding, and we're here to help answer nonprofit questions. So the way this works is you send us questions. You can do that at questions at nonprofiteverything.com or hit us up on social media or find us literally any other way. Um, and we will do our best to get those questions answered. If Stacy and I can't do it, we will go and rope in some experts. Um, send us questions that are hard. Send us questions that are easy. Send us questions that you uh, think you already know the answer to, but you want us to answer anyway just to see if we get it wrong. We could do that, too. We really appreciate that you've taken the time to listen to the podcast. Please let us know. Is there something we can do differently, something we can do better that, that you'd like us to do? Uh, we, we need that feedback. That's the way we make the podcast better. And with that, we're going to jump right in. A colleague and a good friend of mine asked me to join the board of the organization where she is the ED. I now serve as the VP, and about six months into my service, I believe we need to fire or demote my friend due to her lack of experience in financial management, staff management, poor fundraising skills, and general fiscal irresponsibility. Other board members agree. I imagine we won't be friends after this happens. Another option is to move to the artistic director and executive director model and move her to AD, which is where she thrives. I truly believe she would be happier there, and then we could hire someone who's qualified for the ED role. What would you all do and how? Thank you. Love the show. Yay. I love the ending. It just makes me happy. This is a really disappointing, like hard to listen to question. And then thanks. Love the show. Yeah. Thank you for the bright spot at the end. <laughs> and I'm so glad <laughs> you listened. And thank you for sharing the love because we sometimes need to hear that. So thank you. We do. <laughs> uh, gosh. So I'm sorry you're in that situation. It's It really is crappy, right? Ugh. I'm cringing and I go, this is why I like, I've not always done a good job of it, but I try to, I try to keep friendships separate because I go, oh, like, how do you, but it's so hard, so hard sometimes. Um, anyway, I guess I have questions for you and I, that doesn't really give you answers. I have questions and answers, but I don't know if they're the answer. So I guess from a question standpoint, I'm curious, have has the board given any feedback up to this point, right? Has the board done a performance evaluation? Has the board even had conversations about concerns or even the board chair or executive committee having conversations perhaps with your friend who's the ED? That is one big question because I think it's unfair when boards start to notice these things and then blindside an executive director and don't actually ever give them a heads up that there's some concern. So not knowing, it's you say the board knows there's these issues, but has there actually been a conversation? So like to me, that feels like the first step is having like 
making sure the board has a space you could call as an example an executive session and and ask the executive director not to be present and just share you're talking about um the ED position and you're talking about, you know, sort of performance and some things like that and just be transparent about it, but have that closed session without the ED where the board can speak openly about some of this, figure out what is the next step. If if there hasn't been any feedback or process, then you've got to like, I, I feel like that out of fairness to this person it, and it needs to be the first starting point. I mean, the board needs to decide what is it? Is it just, wow, we really think we made the wrong hire? Okay, maybe. Um, but like, do you want to give the person a chance like through education or mentorship with another ED? Or is there any way, is it, is it, it sounds more like not being able to run the organization. And to your point, maybe the person's not in the right role for them. If this is sort if this is a, an arts related organization, like you, it sounds like it is because you talked about this person maybe would be better suited as an artistic director. That initial conversation could really bring up some, some things to just even explore and sort of even just have a, a, a casual conversation about it to start. So I, I think if that hasn't been done, that my advice is to start there. Um, it should probably be because it's not going to be necessarily an easy conversation. Probably should be the board chair and one other board member, um, whoever is best suited for that. If you think as the friend, you're not going to be able to do you know, be, be able to make that separation or delineation, then then strategically, maybe you're not that other board member, but maybe it's the board chair and somebody else that just sort of sits down and says, we want to have a conversation. We've got some concerns. We want to see how you're feeling. Like, what can we, how can we co-create a solution together? How can we figure out how to solve this together? Like, we're not, that's what, where we're coming from as the board. I think that to me would feel like, a really kind, respectful, and fair way to handle this. So that's at least off the top of my head um, what what comes to mind. Andy, how about you? I think the one thing that I didn't see in this question that I sort of that's implied, I think, but I could be wrong, is that the ED is the founder. Did you get that sense too? Interesting. It's not stated, but but this feels like a situation where yeah, this person started the organization and then, you know, and it's gotten to the point where there's a board and there's activity and all of a sudden we're we're this becomes a very common like adolescence where the person who's good at starting something and getting it up off the ground isn't the person to do steady state. It's a very common thing. We see it all the time. Um, it's I'm I would be kind of surprised because if this person really doesn't have any staff management and has terrible fundraising skills. Like, how did you get here? Like, that's, <laughs> I don't know how you get from zero to a functioning organization with no fundraising skills. Um, so, I mean, and I'm, you know, I, I flip, I go different ways depending on the day about how hard nosed I want to be about behaviors and, and how good you have to be to do this kind of thing. Um, today I'm feeling nice. I'd say that this person probably needs a little bit of grace and saying, look, like, do you feel like you're in over your head? Like, because look at the metrics. Like, let's let's just like lay down the like what's actually happening at the organization. Look, we're fundraising. We haven't hit our goals. Um, we've got staff that's unhappy. 
Um, we, we've got financial, you know, we got an audit or we didn't get an audit and that looks really weird because everything's crazy and you're probably not being supported because you don't have, we don't have enough money to bring in professional staff, like to get to the next level. Like, do you feel like you're the right person for this job? Um, or what do you think we need to do to get out of this weird situation that we're in? And that's a, that's like, just like you said, Stacy, that's a board performance review activity which is something that every organization, if you do, and it sounds like you probably don't have that. That's something that your organization doesn't have because if it did, either you're not following the rules and you're just like, high five, great job, move on, right? Because it's uncomfortable to have that conversation, like, or you don't have it at all and you need to sort of implement it. And now <laughs> the things are coming to light and people are talking about, well, this is kind of weird, is a really uncomfortable time to introduce, <laughs> like all of a sudden now we have to have this really complicated board um, ED performance review situation. And by the way, you suck, right? Like that's the wrong time to bring that up. Um, I, I think having that conversation probably like you, exactly like you said with a small group, maybe one, maybe the board chair and maybe one other person that isn't you, you know, you don't want the friend to do it because you're, I mean, think about what's important to you in life. Is this organization more important to you than your friend or is the friend more important to you than the organization? You have to make that decision for yourself. Stacy and I can't do it for you. Um, that's a, although we will, that's a good point. <laughs> we, we will, will. do it, we'll just, but we shouldn't. And I've got a, yeah. I've got a coin. Hang on. Let me flip it. Yeah. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> <We'll> just, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Rochambeau for it. That's what we do in our house. Um, so, so, but, but starting that position from exactly like Stacy said, with, with a board member, a small group that can talk to the ED and say in the nicest possible way, like, do you feel like this is working? <laughs> like, are you comfortable with where we are right now? What do you think we need to do? Right. And, and sometimes those conversations turn into screaming matches. And other times those conversations turn into, you know what? I, could I be the AD? Like, maybe I can be the artistic director and you can bring in somebody that actually has skills. Although, um, having seen organizations that have uh, an ED80 model where you've got an artistic director. So for those of you that don't live in the performing arts world or the arts world, right? A lot of times an artistic director is someone who has sort of like, it's like the program lead, like the chief programs officer. And their responsibility is to sort of drive the, the artistic things that the organization is doing. They may bring in the shows they may be responsible for putting up shows or that kind of stuff or like dealing with the program side of it. And, and then they leave the business side of it to someone who's usually like a chief executive officer. Um, be careful that you don't make those two roles equivalent, that the AD and the ED aren't the same level, because then you end up with this. I've seen that go terribly wrong, where where the autistic director has this vision and nobody's supporting my vision and you just end up with chaos. So what you want to have is the artistic director needs to report to the executive director or who reports to the board, right? You don't want to have this multiple, you know, that you can tell that that's wrong, right? The board needs to be able to deal with one person and that person deals with all of the staff. So that artistic director should be underneath the executive director in that case. Um, so, so maybe that's what the conversation turns to is like, maybe you don't want to be the executive director and you'd be the artistic director, but then somebody's going to be above you. And somebody's going to be able to fire you that isn't the board. It's going to be whoever we bring on as the ED. So that could be a different conversation too. Um, I don't know. Depends on the day. Today I'm feeling nice. Other days I'd be like, ah, oh, cut them loose. I love life's too I, short. I love your nice your side, too Andy. Just so you know, I love the nice. <laughs> I love the nice soft side of Andy. So, <laughs> <sighs> you know, I I think this is where I would be. I also think because we don't know if there's already been dialogue with this person, 
I mean, I think the conversation looks, and again, not knowing if it's a founder or not could could just make this a little more complicated, uh, you know, if they're, if it is a, the founder, but I also, if the ED is the founder, but I also just wonder, like, is there, like, if there has been conversations already, if you came into this board, perhaps, I mean, I don't know, like, I'm making this up, but your friend wanted you because they've been getting this scolding or like these nuts scolding, that sounds parental, but, you know, like they've been getting this feedback that things aren't well and they thought maybe you would even be the one to help the board see the light and that they're actually awesome. I don't know if any of that played into this. And so I just wonder also if there have already been performance reviews or dialogue with this with this person, which it sounds like there hasn't, but if there have, then I do think this conversation looks a bit different and it's less about this sort of exploratory, nice, gentle approach that Andy and I are talking about. And it becomes more, listen, we all, we, we've discussed this already. We know that this is not you're at least right now for what this organization needs to survive and thrive. This isn't going to work. So let's figure out together. So that looks different, right? So I just wanted to play that version out in case that has been done. But my sense is it hasn't because nobody likes having these conversations. So probably you're starting at square one. All right, Andy, here's one for you. I am a chief programs officer and a close partner to our organization's CEO. And the CEO has been grooming me to take over when she retires in the next several months. The board is supportive of this transition plan, even though I am very different than our current CEO. In your honest opinion, do you think an introverted, process-oriented, non-fundraiser like me can effectively be the successor to someone who is my complete opposite? Additionally, how would you recommend I spend the final six months of time overlapping with my current CEO before she retires? I find this question to be absolutely fascinating. Ooh. So I think, so first of all, like it's, I'm glad that the CEO has been grooming you to take over. I think that's a good thing. And I, I wish more organizations did this where the folks that were in the chief level roles are thinking about succession planning all the time, thinking about if I just decide that I've had enough, like who can take my job and do well at it? Is it, and do I have staff internally trained that are capable of doing that? Because we've seen in so many other situations where it's the opposite, where, where someone feels like they're the only person that can do this job and everybody else is terrible. And so why would I teach you? Because I'm the only one that can do it. And when I leave this place, it's going to hell, right? That's the the attitude that you see. So like having that opposite, which is someone saying like, we need to raise you guys up so that you can do all the things that I can do. I think that's one of the like the amazing benefits of working in the nonprofit sector is that you get to, you get to be, you're cl- a lot closer to the work. You're a lot closer to the different levels of the organization. And if you express an interest in like, I really want to learn how to be a better fundraiser, like you will get dumped into fundraising immediately. Or like, I want to know how the financials work. Like someone will show you so that you can get that kind of job one day. So I think that's cool. On the other hand, I, it's not the current CEO's job 
to say that you're going to be the next CEO. That's not their responsibility. It's actually like we say this on the podcast all the time. It's like the only thing that the board is allowed to do is to pick the CEO. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So unless the board is already on board with this, I mean, it says the board's supportive of your transition plan. Um, I think that's great, but it's really in the board's best interest to determine who is the smartest person to lead the organization going forward. Um, whether or not the, I mean, and, and to go from somebody who's not process oriented, very extroverted and is really into fundraising and to flip to the opposite, that may be perfectly, that may be just fine for your organization. And it kind of depends on where the organization is. I've seen, um, the, 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 the times that I've seen executive leadership transitions go wrong is either when the board is convinced that the person that's currently doing it is irreplaceable. And so they have to look far and wide to find somebody that's an exact clone of the person who's currently in the job without really thinking about the organization as a whole. Like maybe, maybe we're, we've, we've matured and we're in a new life cycle stage. And so what we need is somebody who can think about process. Um, Maybe the person that was there that did all this fundraising and got the place going, like maybe that's not what you need. Maybe you need somebody who does focus on the process so that you can make your outcomes better or so that you can make, you know, whatever it is that your nonprofit does so that you can focus on that work because that's what the organization needs next. So I wouldn't say it's an automatic disqualifier that you're not a clone of the current CEO. That actually may be perfect, but it's so specific to your organization that I don't think it's possible to say from an external's perspective whether or not that's good or if it's right. Um, I think learning as much as you can in the next six months about like what, you know, where the bodies are buried, what that person does and thinking about like those questions that if you didn't think that you were automatically going to get the job, the questions that a, an intelligent board would ask you about the future state of the organization and how you're going to get there. And then focus on those kinds of things. Like why, why is a process person the right person to take this role? Or why should it be somebody who has way more fundraising experience than you do or is really loves fundraising and wants to go do it? Um, that's what I would spend my next six months on is trying to figure out like how, what the answer to that question is and seeing if you can answer it. I think the board does have an obligation whenever there's going to be a transition. And this is what you were saying, Andy, but the board has an obligation to without that current C- CEO present. The board has an obligation to have a conversation or have a committee that's having a conversation about what what are the desired attributes? What are some things like what pro, what type of person, what type of skills, what types of things do we think this organization is going to need for that next phase? And so many times boards don't do that. And it becomes more a laundry list of can you do these three, you know, have you run programs? Have you raised money? have you managed a board before? And it's like, okay, that's, that's part of it. But like, it's more than that, right? It's about sort of that, that shift in leadership and what types of leadership the organization needs. So, and I think the board could even really get some great feedback from staff in that as they go through it. But to this person's point, I feel like there's a little bit of, um, I don't know if I want to read into it that it's imposter syndrome or just sort of a sense of, of, not not even being qualified because you're introverted and process oriented and not a fundraiser or maybe you haven't done fundraising I, I i guess i just really want the person who wrote this to feel like they can absolutely do this and there's all sorts of to your point andy all sorts of 
different types of CEOs and executive directors out there. And so, so there isn't just, yes, you tend to find many who are of the the mold that they're greater at fundraising or they're a little more extroverted, but there's also others that aren't. And then they build a team around them that fills that need. Maybe it doesn't have to be them. Maybe there's somebody else that's their number two or number three or chief development officer that sort of plays that role. So not, again, like the structure of your organization and sort of knowing that one person doesn't have to be at all, but you can just sort of, you've got, you're obviously a large enough organization, you have C-suite employees. So I'm going to guess you've got some that you can kind of choose from, um, you know, to, to figure figure out some of what that right mix looks like moving forward. Um, and then, you know, I guess the other thing I would just say, I think first and foremost in that next six to nine months or whatever it is, that transition period happens where you're trying to soak up as much as you can to make yourself a viable candidate. I think relationship transfer is so, so important in this kind of, like, it's the thing that gets lost, right? Where you have a CEO or, you know, you have one person who has all of the big relationships and owns all of those. And perhaps those people don't know others. So is there a way to start bringing you into some of those? Not that you're going to be the successor, because as Andy said, that's the board's role, but like bring you in for you to be able to like, start to be another face to the organization. And and you can probably speak uh, amazingly because you're head of programs for the organization about the impact and the stories of the people's lives you're touching, which by the way, also can super help you in fundraising. So while you may not think you're a fundraiser, I actually think program people can be amazing fundraisers because they understand it firsthand. So um, anyways, make sure you're a part of that relationship transfer is the bottom line. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. And I've seen lots of organizations that do something similar where the if there's a media opportunity, like so if some, you know, that's it's the holidays and all the radio stations want to talk to somebody that's working on a nonprofit and ask them about what they do. Right. It's the perfect time to get a radio interview um, and to make the org- organizations that think about that where they're actually spreading that around among different employees. So it's not only the CEO, it's not only the executive director that's the one that's the face and the voice of the organization, but it gets spread around to different things to talk about different people. Sometimes it's the finance person, rarely, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it's the fundraising people. Sometimes it's somebody that's in programs because then those are the people that know about that particular area and can answer those questions in a better way. Um do all the public speaking you can. That's going to be something that you probably are not. Um, you didn't mention it as being you just say you're an introvert, but you can be an introvert and also be really good at public speaking. That's that's possible as well. Um, that might be something that you want to think about polishing up because that's going to come in like the, the first week that you have that new job. You're going to have to stand up in front of all the whole staff and give like an ED kind of pep talk. And it's going to be really weird because they already know you. So um, getting ahead of that might be a, a good thing to work on in the next six months as well. Well, that is it for this episode of Nonprofit Everything. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Send us your questions. Uh, nonprofiteverything.com is the webpage. There's a big shiny red button to click to ask us a question there. Or you can send us an email to questions at nonprofiteverything.com. That gets to us too. 
If you've got a guest expert that you want us to bug, let us know that. We will literally call anyone and do our best to get them on. So you can do that too. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. Thank you.